Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Lightning fans, you found the right show for everything you need to know about your favorite team in the NHL. It's the Lightning Insider Podcast with Eric Erlinson. Get ready for insight, historical perspective, interviews, and breaking news that comes from a reporter insider who's got near 20 years on the Tampa Bay Lightning beat. Now for the latest with the Lightning, here's Eric. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the LightningInsider.com podcast. I am Eric Erlinson from LightningInsider.com, along with Greg Lanelli from Lightning Radio, pre-game, intermission, post-game, as well as co-host of Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play, which you can find on the iHeart app that airs Monday through Friday from noon to 1 p.m. alongside Dave Mishkin for that show. And we're coming to you after game one of Tampa Bay's opening round playoff series against the in-state rival Florida Panthers, Tampa Bay with an exciting back and forth 5-4 affair. They come out on top. Braden points game winner with a minute 14 left is the deciding goal as Tampa Bay does claim a one nothing series advantage with game two on Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Before we look ahead to that game, though, we're going to talk a little bit about, okay, a lot about what happened in game one because there was a lot to digest, Greg. And as we were talking before we started recording, uh, probably as entertaining of a playoff game as you're going to find. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because I think when you look at these two teams, this isn't your typical first-round matchup. I mean, the way the schedule played out this year, these are two teams that maybe would face each other in a normal year in another setting, maybe later in the playoffs. It just so happens the way things worked out, it's the first round. So I think you're going to see some high-level hockey. You're going to see some intensity. And then you throw the geographical implications of this series, and you get what you saw last night but there's something to be said for maybe not always playing your best but finding a way to win and florida had a lot of things going for them in game one and they had the crowd as i'm sure you'll attest to being there was certainly motivated them and helped them at times in this game but the lightning found ways to make a play here and there on the power play special teams is a big deal and then the nikita kucherov factor and Florida just didn't have an answer for the Lightning's power play. It ended up being the big difference in this game. And the Lightning now steal home ice advantage away from the Panthers. If you felt like there was going to be home ice advantage in this series. And I, I think all in all, yes, there are some things to clean up. But so much better talking about it after a winnie than not. Yeah, it's it's Al Davis hockey. Just win, baby. It's all that matters. You don't you're not looking for style points for playoff victories. You just you just need the W's. It's a race to four in each series, and Tampa Bay gets the first leg on really what wasn't a clean game for both teams. And you know we'll we'll dissect a little bit of what Tampa Day, Tampa Bay did, especially with some of the turnovers in the third period, which were a little head scratching at times. But to me, the biggest factor about this, first of all, you're right about the crowd. It was. 9,600 is what they announced, which is just under 50% capacity at BB&T Center. Uh, having covered games at Amelie all year, they had either zero fans or 3,700 or 4,200. 
you noticed the difference with almost 10,000 people there. You really did. Uh, the, there was energy. There was a vibe. They, they're the reactions, all the stuff that we miss with fans in attendance. You felt them last night. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the uh, uh, atmosphere at Amelie for games three and four later in the week to see how the 7,000 or so sort of react to Tampa Bay playing a home game. But um, the, the entertainment value for a playoff game was off the charts. I mean, you don't see – what was it, just the fourth or fifth time in NHL history that you saw four lead changes in a game, and it's only the third time it's happened in a game one and not since 2010 between Chicago and Philadelphia in the Stanley Cup final in game one. So only three times it's happened in game one. I'm sure the coaches aren't happy with the way that game sort of evolved uh, in terms of the lack of, of um, discipline on Florida's part the lack of um, being careful with the puck on Tampa Bay's end. But at the end of the day, when you can win a game like that with Nikita Kucherov back, and I think he was the biggest factor in this game because it was funny to listen to Victor Hedman afterwards saying it felt like it's been a long time since all five of the guys on that top power play have been together. What has been? It's been since February of last year before Steven Stamkos went out with the surgery that the top power play unit was together. So uh, the chemistry was there right away, but I think a lot of it is because of Nikita Kucherov, the brilliance of Nikita Kucherov and the understanding. I mean, Greg, his best play of the night easily came on Braden Point's tying goal with the fake shot, understanding the defense was going to be drawn to him, understanding that Sergei Bobrovsky was probably going to play the shot to him because he reared that stick back as if he was going to fire one. And then just the, the, the touch pass, the fake shot over to Point to put it in a spot. I mean, he was the biggest difference in this game in terms of his return after missing the entire regular season. We didn't know what to expect, but I don't think we expected that. No, I mean, it, it's hard to predict what type of production you were going to get from Kucherov. Although I will say this, when people did ask me the question when it came to at least Kucherov's performance, I felt like he could make the biggest impact on the power play. And I didn't anticipate he'd have that type of impact, but it made sense because it's not five on five. He's got a little more room to operate. And with the skill sets that he has, that's more conducive to getting back into the flow of things coming off an injury on the power play than it is on five on five. And he was dynamite. And, you know, the Panthers probably should have understood that, you know, the, the power play was, was clicking and was going to be a threat when Kucherov was able to help deliver their first power play goal. But I, I think, I wonder if that is going to change the Panthers approach a little bit moving forward. You can say it didn't in the first game because they, they played aggressively. They played over the line at times. They took some needless penalties and the, the lightning made them pay. I mean, this was a special teams game. I mean, the lightning were dominant in the special teams category. And I think getting Kucherov and then Stamkos, I, I thought was close to scoring a couple of goals as well. I mean, it was nice to see somebody from the left circle with the shooter first mentality and then, of course, having Kucherov be the quarterback on that power play was something to watch. So that was we're not giving enough credit to Kucherov for what he did last night because he also had a breakaway in that game. Uh, he impacted the game the way great players do. And I thought overall the Lightning's best players were a bit better than the Panthers' best players. And that's saying something because I thought the Panthers' best players were pretty good. But Point, Kucherov, Vasi. I think even Hedman played a controlled game. Yep. Didn't have many turnovers either. We had seen late 
in the year. I'm not saying there weren't turnovers because there were, and I'm sure we're going to get into them when it comes to the lightning, but I thought the lightning's best players were a bit better than Florida's best players. And maybe that's a simple way of looking at things, but I felt like it was true last night. Yeah. And with Kucherov, like the big question was rust, right? Like how rusty is he going to be? He hasn't played a game since September 28th. Has nothing done, nothing but practice. And really there hasn't been a ton of practice time. Hadn't taken a hit from anybody, but elite players, understand how to play even if they haven't played in a while right like in in, and i know jumping into a playoff series and and again a fast-paced physical series you know your first game in in seven and a half months but the one thing that doesn't go away is the brain and i know nikita kucherov has talked about that and he's actually used that phrase more than a couple of times use my brain and elite players slow the slow the game down that's what they do. And that's what he did on the, the game tying goal is he slowed the game down because he knew where that puck was going before it even left Victor Hedman's stick. Uh, so for, for him to come back after that amount of time and be able to slow the game down as quick as he did, if I can kind of oxymoron myself there, I didn't say moron, Greg, I said oxymoron. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's really, it really is something to see for, for, for Kucherov to come back and play that way. And, and if, you know, the comment from Victor Hedman said last night, it's scary. He's only going to get better. Uh, if he's going to get better than that, uh, he is going to be the factor uh, in this series, especially if, if Florida is going to continue to take some dumb penalties because that hit by Sam Bennett, which is being reviewed by the league as we sit here and record. And maybe by the time people are listening to this, the ruling is already out. I expect at least a game suspension regular season. I think that's five. He might only get one for it, but that was a predatory, dumb hit on Sam Bennett's part that put Tampa Bay in the position to tie that game in the first place. And, and I've said this before, I felt watching Florida last night reminded me of Tampa Bay in 2003, where they were the young team. The Capitals were the experienced team, you know, Ole Kolzig and Jeff Halpern was on that team. And um, I don't know. I think Peter Bonger was still there, you know, so they were the experienced team where Tampa Bay was the young team trying to set a physical tone and took it too far. Uh, I, I got a lot of reminders from that last night. If Florida can't tone that down, if they think that they can amp this up a little bit further, I, I think they've got another thing coming. And this could be a short series if they're going to continue to put Tampa Bay on the power play. I don't think it's going to be a short series. We saw yeah. the way Florida counterpunched last night. I mean, going down a goal in the third period and then scoring two within the first five to take the lead. Didn't expect that to happen from Tampa Bay's part or Florida's part. Um, but if Florida's going to take undisciplined, dumb penalties like they did, especially in the third last night, that's major advantage in Tampa. Bay yeah, Chandler. no doubt. And that, that's why I think you're right. Uh, it, did Florida's maybe inexperienced show a little bit in that first game? I mean, it felt clearly that their game plan was to get as physical as possible during play and after the whistle. I thought the officials actually let that get out of control. I felt like Florida was the team. It, it looked like they were the ones initiating most of that stuff that happened at the end of the play. And I think it did cost them. Now, the question is, will they tone that down from here on out? And really, we only have one game to go off of E, but you mentioned Bennett's hit on Coleman. I mean, keep in mind, they're winning that game 4-3. Yeah. And then he takes it. So the answer would be, at least in game one, they did not adjust. They did not feel like it was costing them. Does it change in game two? You know, look, Joel Quenville's a Hall of Fame coach. He's won a lot of championships. I'm sure they're looking at certain things and saying, guys, this is probably an area where you need to tone it down. 
If, if a guy you can see his numbers, don't hit him from behind. Play with controlled aggression. Easier said than done. We understand it. You mentioned the crowd. I think certainly played a factor in emotions rising in that game. But I thought that's where the Lightning showed their veteran leadership in this game. And look, right before that, they had two egregious turnovers from defensemen. And that's something that can't happen. I think they acknowledge it. I think some of that is Florida. Give them credit. This is a not your typical first-round opponent team. But I thought their inexperience, meaning Florida's, when to take those hits, when to be rough, was noticeable, and it hurt them more than it helped them last night. Does that change for game two and the series? I, I think time will tell. Yeah, and the undisciplined part, right? Like, Bennett apparently was looking for a retribution. Uh, I, I, I didn't see it, I'll be honest, but I, a lot of people told me on Twitter when I asked about this that Coleman put a hit on Barkov at center ice, a clean hit at center ice, and he was looking for retribution. And that is the absolute wrong thing to do if you're Bennett and the Florida Panthers in that situation. Your best retribution is on the scoreboard, right? Like that you're already winning the game. Why are you putting yourself into a situation? So, uh, look, Quenville is a smart enough guy, obviously, to kind of maybe talk to his team about some of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's – and, again, I, I think that's – you mentioned the Tampa Bay's experience. That comes into, into play because while there was a lot of skirmishes going on, and I don't think I've ever seen five sets of matching minors that led to four-on-four -four play. We had 10 minutes of four-on-four -four play in that game last night. There was only eight minutes of five-on-five -five play in the first period because of all the matching minors, and I know Florida had a power play uh, in there as well. Um, you know, so the game was was starting to teeter on the edge. I actually think the officials in some way, because they called all those minors, at least kept some semblance of control on the game. But it was Tampa Bay that didn't let any of that stuff escalate to the point where they were going to put themselves into position. Because let's for let's face it, Ryan Lomberg, he has one job out there, and that's to be a, a shift disturber. I said shift disturber out there on a constant basis. Um, you know, that, that's his one job out there. I, I don't know how much he he's in on the action. I don't even know he had a shot on goal last night. I think I remember one from him, but his, his sole intention on the ice is to stir things up and Tampa Bay can't get caught up in that. And I think that's where their discipline and their leadership and their understanding of what it takes to win in the playoffs uh, came into account then. And that's kudos on Tampa Bay for not getting too caught up in some of the emotions that was taking place. Yeah. I mean, look, the, when you look at this game, we can point to some things that Tampa Bay didn't do well, but you feel like in some ways they took a really good punch from the Panthers and came away with, with a win that there's something to be said for that. And you talked about in the playoffs, it's more about the results than the process. Sometimes that's different in the regular season, but listen, this is, this is survival. You want to get as many wins as possible in the playoffs. I don't think you have to apologize for how you get them. Never. I thought the officiating E the only thing I'll say on them, it's so inconsistent more so than any other professional sports league out there in my opinion oh for sure where where they could swallow the whistle and it impacts the game even though they think it's not impacting the game i think when you have so many things the extracurricular stuff at the end of a play you know the way i think to stop some of that nonsense is to award power plays you know you you can give two guys minors and it ends up being five you know four on four but gudis the other day dave michigan brought this up on the show on monday you know, cross-check to the head of a Lightning player. And, you know, a guy like that should be assessed another penalty. Yeah. And I, I think 
the officials, you, you could kind of get a sense they wanted to take control of the game. I just don't think they did it properly. And I have no confidence that's going to happen in game two or the rest of the series. That's why I just say you have to roll with punches when it comes to the officials. But last night, it did work in Tampa Bay's favor from the standpoint that they got enough power plays, which has been an issue this year for the team. And yeah. I really believe it's been an issue for the Lightning since John Cooper has been a head coach at times where he'll he'll kind of slyly in post-game press conferences talk about the lack of power play opportunities that the Lightning get. They got a couple last night, and boy, did they capitalize on it. Yeah, some of that's my fault. I, I try and goad John Cooper into answering that right. question from time to time because it does amaze me sometimes with the puck possession that this team has that they don't get any power. Because I think they had two or three games this year where they had zero and probably 10 or so they had one uh, in a game. So it, it certainly is an issue. Um, but look, you don't apologize. Like you said, you don't apologize for how you get the W. It, it's a race to four uh, in each series, and, and they get the first one. Um the bi- the biggest concern for me, if you're a lighting fan, is the turnovers in the third period. I mean, just egregious turnovers. Like, you know, we mentioned the one by Mikhail Sergachev, and we've seen this a couple of times from him this year. Passes back across the zone just inside the blue line. <laughs> you can't can't do that. It's, most teams have a third man high, and they're just going to pick that puck off and go the other way. And, and then he, he put it right onto the stick of you know, one of two guys in that Florida lineup you don't want to give it to, and that was Jonathan Huberto. And he made them pay for it with a tying goal just a, a minute or so into the third period. And you know, for, for a, a team that embraces the suck and dances in the rain as they did last year and try not to let things bother them, they were a very disciplined team in the postseason last year when it came to that stuff, right? Like they didn't put themselves into bad situations. So to see that crop up in game one, and of course the other one was from Jan Ruda that led to the go-ahead goal again, putting it on the stick of Jonathan Huberto, who made a fantastic play to set up uh, Owen Tippett for the go-ahead goal at the time. You know, those are little things that you can't afford to do. Uh, So that's, to me, that's the biggest area this team needs to clean up is just be more disciplined with the puck. And I've been preaching it all year. A lot of times, the only team that can beat Tampa Bay is Tampa Bay. And if they're going to turn the puck over and, you know, give teams those type of opportunities, I don't care who's in net for you. As all world as Andre Vasilevsky is, he can't stop everything if you're going to keep putting them out to dry. Um, You know, so they have to clean that area up big time. They do. And I I agree with that. I I think I, I give more credit to the Panthers for forcing Tampa Bay into those situations. Look, if there is a downfall on this team, it is their turnovers. They will turn the puck over at times in their own zone, particularly now those, some of those turnovers you just mentioned didn't happen there, but this is a really good Florida team. And I think you can make a case more so than maybe any team they faced last year, going to the Stanley cup finals. I mean, Dallas obviously gets their talented for sure, but I, I feel like this Florida team from top to bottom is as solid as you're going to see in in the playoffs they just don't have the experience right now to go along with it and maybe they get that starting in game two i don't know what to make of mikhail sergachev's game this year because for as good as he was last year i don't know if we've seen the same steps this year i mean we haven't and he was involved physically which is a good thing and he played with savard which let's face it i I think I don't want to say he's getting the short end of the stick there, but certainly John Cooper went back to what has worked with the defense pairings, Hedman and Ruta, McDonough and Chernak. Savard really is still trying to find his way. He is. And he's playing with Sergachev, who I don't think has had as good a year this year as he did last. 
So I think it, it has some uncomfortable moments there for those two guys. And I still think it's a work in progress. But Sergachev, you, you just you don't anticipate him making a play like that. Now, I, I don't think that's something that's going to continue, but I, to be fair, I don't know. Well, that's I, just it because we've seen it down the stretch, right? Yeah, we have. And, and, the, and the fact that he's still committing those type of turnovers, um, you know, is a little upsetting. And look, and I've said this before. You've, you've heard me say, Greg, I know people who have listened to me through the years, you've heard me say it. When players sign that first decent money deal and he's got bigger contracts down his road, assuming he continues at the trend that he has been, uh, upward trend uh, over the last couple of years, when they sign that first contract, for whatever reason, there's pressure on him. I mean, look at Anthony Sorelli. In, in signing his first deal coming out of his entry level and hitting that quote unquote big payday. I saw it with Marty St. Louis. I saw it with Brad Richards. It's, it's a Yanni Gord. I, I inexplicable at times, but yet not a surprise at times. So I don't wonder if that factors into this a little bit as well with him, but you know, for, for the type of minutes that he's been able to gain going back to January of last year and then through the playoffs, um, you didn't, you don't expect to see him continue to make, Let's face it, some of them are rookie mistakes. I mean, he's no longer a rookie. He's his fourth year in the league now, and he's 20 to 22 minute a night guy. You don't expect to see that from him. You want to see the development and, and understanding about you know protecting the puck a little bit better, better. What I'm interested to see, though, because we saw this in the latter half of the third period, how much John Cooper and Rob Zettler mixed up the defensive pairings. And we saw them all over the map. They weren't sticking to their structured pairs as they did throughout most of the game. You know, you saw Hedman out there with Savard. You saw, you know, um, Hedman out there probably with just about everybody else that was on the ice at various times in the third period. Now, you're down a goal. You're trying to push, right? Like, you need the tying goal in, in, in the final 10, 12 minutes of the game. But I'll be interested because it, it just felt like every time Sergachev and Savard were on the ice together – it didn't feel good. It didn't feel right. And that's a pair. I don't know how much they, they played with each other on the ice at times after the, the trade to acquire Savard. You know, we saw them put Savard with Hedman in the game against Nashville. Didn't work. He was pretty consistent with Ryan McDonough down the stretch. But I don't think he played many minutes together um, with Mikhail Sergachev. And then you go into the game last night. And you find out that the two of them were on the ice together at uh, five on five play for nearly 12 minutes, which I'm sure is more than they played together throughout the entire year. Odd times it would be out at, you know, shift changes or whatever. Uh, but I'll be interested to see if the coaching staff sticks with that, with that alignment. Um, there's you know a level for sure with Hedman and Ruta and McDonough yeah. and Chernak, but I got a little uh, edgy watching Savard and Sergachev together. Savard hasn't looked comfortable, has he? No, he hasn't. And in some ways, I can't blame them. I mean, I, I think when you change routines, when you change teams, when you change cities, because there's a lot of other stuff that goes on behind the scenes that you have to take care of. Look, we saw that with Blake Coleman and Barkley Goodrow. I think once the, the pause happened, they were able to get a little more comfortable in their lives. And I think you saw them play really well in the postseason. Savar doesn't have that luxury. And you just get the sense that he's not playing as fast or as aggressive as you'd like. And I think some of that is still, he's just not sure. And I'm not, I'm not saying he's wrong. I think that's, that's the risk you take when you acquire a player at the trade deadline. He, sometimes those things work out. Sometimes they don't. I think the lightning are just hoping at some point the light bulb goes on and you start seeing the Savard 
who was dominant with the Columbus Blue Jackets. So I've seen a lot of people ask me, and I'm sure you're getting the same question. Do you think the Lightning are going to go with Luke Shen in game two? Do you think the Lightning are going to go 11 and seven? I don't. But I also understand that there is a part of some who want to see Shen's physicalness in a series where the Panthers were taking some obligations after the whistle to impose their will. I think Shen is limited in what he can do. I'm not sure the Panthers would be the best matchup for him. And you've talked about his foot speed lacking, but he has played pretty well in fairness to Shen. Uh, He knows his limitations for sure. But surprisingly, that was one of the, the main observations I took from Twitter about what the Lightning need to do in game two. And some of it was, you know, does Shen need to, to come in and, and help out with the physical play? Yeah, somebody asked me if they if the Lightning could get back their first-round draft pick they traded to get David Savard. No, no, there's, there's no givebacks here. Um, yeah, he struggled. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the different systems. I mean, Ryan McDonough even alluded to it, and Ryan, Ryan McDonough knows as well as anybody because he played under John Tortorella. He knows the difference going from that system that they were running in Columbus. Of course, McDonough was with Tortorella in New York. Uh, is different than what they asked the defenseman to play here. Um, you know, uh, but again, it, we've seen some of the cross ice passes high in the zone from Savard and he's not a vet, a, a rookie, you know, he's a veteran. He's, he's played in this league for 500 games, you know, so you don't expect to see that from a player of his uh, ilk as, as well. Um, so, it, you know, I look, I, the, the thought did occur to me driving back from, the rank last night, back to the hotel room, whether or not we would see Luke Shen in. Um, if it does, it probably comes at the expense of Jan Ruda. I don't think you're taking Savard out of the lineup. Um, you know, so if there is one change, that's the one area I might look at. But again, this is a fast Florida team. And yes, you like the physicalness that Shen can bring. He can be a, a quote unquote police officer on the ice. Uh, I mean, look, it, it didn't really change anything in, in the game last Saturday between the two teams where they combined for 160 penalty minutes, and Shen was certainly involved in a lot of that, so it didn't diffuse any of the situations there. Knowing full well the playoffs are a much different situation in terms of, of how teams are going to approach. I mean, it's, it's ironic that everything happened in that game one except for the one thing that a lot of people associate the game with, and that was fights. There were no fights in that game. Um, because you just don't see that too often in the playoffs, especially with a close game. Uh, but does Shen come in for Ruda? I could see it. Um, but then what that does is then it slots Chernak back up with Hedman and it puts Savard back with McDonough. And then you go with Sergachev and Shen. And I just don't know if Mikhail Sergachev is going to continue to turn the puck over. Luke Shen is not the guy to be able to cover up for those mistakes. If he's yeah. even with Sergachev in the zone, he just does not have the speed you know, to get back. And that's, I'm, I'm not knocking Luke Shen. It's just, that's who he is as a player. Um, and look, he can make some smart plays. I mean, look, he had, a, he had the, the goal. He had the one Tampa Bay goal in those final two games against Florida, you know, jumping down from the slot. So he understands uh, what his role is and he can expand on it from time to time. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see that move though. I don't know how much it's going to change things, but I wouldn't be surprised to see it. Yeah. I, you know, look, part of it is you put Rutsa in the top six because you felt like he gave you the best chance to win. I think you have to let him work out some of the rust that he may have. So I go back to him in game two. 
But I also understand that this is a results-based league. If you feel like one of these guys is struggling, it would be Ruta who would come out. Then maybe Shen does slot in. I mean, the luxury of Shen, he's he's played how many games in the National Hockey League? He's got a ton of experience, and he's he's won a championship. You know what you get with Luke Shen. He boxes out really well in front of his own zone. He makes the simple play. He gets the puck out quickly. He's not the fastest guy. But then again, you're probably only asking him to play 10 minutes a night, and some of that might be on the penalty kill. So uh, the good news is John Cooper has options. But I think you want to see a better performance collectively from a couple of guys there, especially uh, from game two on, because the, the turnovers, some of them were forced, but some of them were unforced. And I think the unforced ones, you want to see them cut down. If they can do that, then I, I think you really feel good about where they are in the series against the Panthers. Don't be left out. Make sure you subscribe to the Lightning Insider on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else where podcasts are found. Now, here again is Eric. Yeah, it's puck protection. It's it's been preaching that for three, four years, you know, with this team. And, you know, it's funny you mentioned um, Florida understanding that Tampa Bay can turn the puck over. I remember a conversation I had with Brad Richards after the 2015 Stanley cup and Quinville obviously was a coach with the Blackhawks at the time. Richards had just retired. Um, he was in town, I think just to say hi to some, you know, former Tampa people. Uh, so I had a chance to kind of chat him up in the hallway. And he said that the approach to their game, the, the Chicago game, well, you know, game one can be a feel out process and, different situation here because of the familiarity between the teams for sure. But game one of the Stanley cup final was sort of a feel out process for Chicago. They wanted to know how Tampa Bay was going to play. And once they realized that if the Blackhawks stayed patient, the lightning would make a mistake. And what happened in game one of the Stanley cup final JT Brown turned the puck over in his own zone led to uh, Tara Vinan's. I don't know if it was the go ahead goal or the tying goal at the time. Uh, but it was a one nothing game going into the third period, and Chicago turned around and won that game 2-1. to one. Uh, But it was because Chicago figured out, with Joe Quenfield behind the bench, Tampa Bay's prone to turn the pucks over. They want to force the play. Now, this is a different Lightning team, obviously, especially having won a championship, but they do still have the tendency to try and force plays, and that was a strength of theirs in the postseason. We've seen it get away from them in the regular season here at times. But if they're gonna if they're gonna put themselves in a situation to turn the puck over, if I'm Joel Quenville, I'm going back to that conversation I had with my 15 Blackhawks team, and saying if you if you if you stay patient, you protect the puck yourself, you might force the other team into making a, a mistake. And we did it in two, 2015 to them. Let's try and do it here. And I think that's where if I'm if I'm Florida, I kind of try and turn the game around that way rather than trying to turn up the heat physically. Yeah, and, you know, their star players were good last night. And we talked about this before with Barkov, Huberdeau. I thought they generated a lot of scoring chances for Hagee got a goal. So they have some reason to be optimistic that they can take advantage of some miscues from the Lightning. And I think that's also something that we need to, to keep an eye on in this series. I think it just depends on how controlled do they play, how measured are they from here on out. Do we see them continue to mix things up in a way that may rattle them a bit if Tampa Bay takes advantage of some power play opportunity? Or is it a team that can use their forecheck and speed to make Tampa Bay a little more uncomfortable the rest of the series? They have the potential to do that. 
And uh, it'll be interesting to see which direction they want to go. And, and some of that may also be how well is Tampa Bay playing as well? Because when Tampa Bay has the puck and they're making good decisions and they're forechecking, it's going to cause some problems, I think, for the Florida Panthers. It can. And that's where Tampa Bay's experience needs to come into play. Right. Like they're, they're the defending champion and the Florida Panthers are trying to make a name for themselves. They're trying to get a foothold, not just in the state of Florida, but around the league as well, because they've had, I mean, we've mentioned they haven't won a playoff series since 1996. So, you know, people want to pick on the fan base down here. The franchise has never given them a reason to have any optimism. This is a team that gives them optimism. Um, you know, so they're trying to they're trying to make their stride in that direction. And the Lightning are the veteran team, though. They can't let that happen. Uh, they have to rely on that experience. And I think in a lot of ways they did. Uh, and it never hurts to have game breakers like Braden Point, like Nikita Kucherov, like Steven Stamkos, who still ended up with two assists last night, even though he didn't score a goal. Victor Hedman gets three assists. Uh, obviously, we know the, the strength of the power play. Uh, but it's it all comes down to just making sure that you're putting yourself in the best position to win a game. You're not looking at a series. You're not looking beyond anything after game two, play game two better than you played game one. And I think Tampa Bay has a good chance to come out of this with a two Oh series lead heading back home. I do too. And um, you know, their goaltender, I thought Vassy was solid as well. And that's one thing, you know, when you give up four or five goals, I think an interesting question in this series is going to be, do we see high scoring games? I mean, is this just going to be something where the goaltenders give up three, three plus every night because of the skill set that's out there? Doesn't mean the goaltenders play poorly. Yeah. I thought both goaltenders are pretty good. Yeah. But you wonder with the skill out there, again, I don't think this is your typical first round opponent. Are we going to see some crooked numbers put up on the score sheet? And uh, if so, do you feel you know pretty confident that Tampa Bay is going to come out on the winning side more times than not. I think that's going to be kind of an interesting dynamic to this as well. Yeah. It has the feel that it could be a high scoring series. Um, you know, look, I, I expect the game to be played at a little bit of a more controlled pace from here on out. There's always emotions and everything else and not quite the feeling uh, situation kind of dipping your toes in the water that we usually see in game one that we did last night, but uh, I, I, it has the potential. There's a ton of skill on both sides. Um, even minor mistakes can be punished um, on both sides because of, of what they have. I mean, we mentioned Florida is a, is a much deeper team than we've ever seen. We'll see how long Sam Bennett has to sit because he's getting a hearing. He's going to be suspended. I'll be curious to see if it's more than one game, because I think that's a five gamer in the regular season uh, In the playoffs. It's probably no more than two more likely a one. I don't think he has a history. I don't, I'm not aware of a history that he has. So that hurts their depth. I mean, he came in from Calgary and he made an immediate impact on the score sheet. I think he had what more points than Pavel Bure in his first 10 games with the Panthers. So this team has some, some much better depth than we've seen, but that's also Tampa Bay strength. And, you know, they just have to impose that will on Florida. And, um, but you're right. I, I, you, you could have nine combined goals like we saw in game one and not point to the goalies for having a bad night. I mean, Bogrovsky did stop Kucherov on a breakaway. Vasilevsky made that huge save on Barkov on the two-on-one yeah. that was created in the third period. Um, I, th- I think they were still trailing by a goal at that time. Um, you know, so look, you you ask your your goalies to come up with saves when you need them. Vasilevsky certainly did it. Um, my question is, is what's 
what might the leash be on Sergei Bobrovsky? And I'm not saying he's there's no way he's starting game two, but you do wonder. He did not have as good of a year as Chris Dreger. Dreger just just did shut out Tampa Bay in the last game. Granted, it was the last regular season game. There were a lot of Lightning players uh, in the uh, in the lineup that night that are not in the lineup, you know, for the playoffs. Uh, but I wonder how how short Bobrovsky's leash is if he does have a bad period. I think if he has a complete meltdown, you'll see a, a switch. I don't know if it'll be permanent. Depends on when that will happen. But I don't know. Quenville, I think he's smart enough to understand that you probably don't want to go to your backup uh, back and forth in a playoff series against the Lightning. I think you, you'd like to have confidence in your number one guy. I've been hard on Bobrovsky over the years, but you know he did... He did. He was the starting goaltender when they knocked off Tampa Bay a couple years ago. He should have some confidence that he can beat them. I'm not telling you he is, but there was, let's put it this way. There was nothing that he did in game one that would lead me to believe he is going to have a short leash in this series. That being said, if he gives up five goals on, you know, 15 shots on Tuesday, then, you know, Quenville has the options of going to his backup. But I, I think this is Bobrovsky's net and, you know, if he can build off of game one in game two, game three, game four, and so on, I think the Panthers will be pleased that their goaltender at least gave them a chance to, to knock off the lightning. All right, before we close it out, um, give me your one lightning player that needs to be much, much better in game two. And then, then give me a, a player that, that you expect will take a step forward from game one to game two. If that makes sense. So I, it's it's because I think my standards are high. I think they're high for you as well when when it comes to this player, and that would be Sergachev. I've I've talked about it. We talked about it earlier on this podcast. I think he has so much potential, and he was so good last year. We haven't seen that this year, as consistent. Um, I think he has a rebound game. I think he has a bounce back game, and I, I think I would look for him to be a bit better. I think Sorelli is close as a guy who, you know, is getting some opportunities and. And, and might finally find the back of the net. This feels like a series that he can thrive in. It's physical. It's going to be nasty. He had an opportunity late in the game in the third period to score and go up 5-4. He's getting chances. That means he's getting closer. There's no doubt he was um, disappointed in his performance offensively this year, but I, I feel like he's getting closer, and I wouldn't be surprised if he comes through in the clutch a couple of times here. Yeah, I'm looking for David Savard. Um, you know, after the trade, obviously a lot of expectations, you give up a lot to acquire him. Uh, I know we talked a lot about him, he, but he, in the regular season, he'd been consistently about a 20 minute a night guy. So ice time was under 17 minutes last night. And if that's not a message to a veteran player that your game needs to be better, I don't know what else you're going to do. Uh, Sergeyev turnovers are one thing we, cause we've seen it. We've seen what he's capable of doing when he's at the top of his game but I need David Savard to be better. I need him to be the guy that the lightning acquired at the trade deadline uh, ends up as a minus two last night, not all his faults, uh, obviously, but you just, you, you're just waiting for him and he's not a flashy player, but you're waiting for him to impose himself in a game. And I don't know if he's seen that yet. He doesn't have a point. Not that you brought him in to, to bring an offense. Uh, he's, you know, he's physical. He has, he does have hits. Um, he does block a ton of shots. Uh, but I, I'm just looking for him to be a more steadier presence. And I think he's a guy that needs to step up uh, big time. And I, I'm, I'm with you on Sorelli. He hit he a crossbar, I think, in the one of the last two regular season games, or maybe it was the game against Dallas, the home, uh, home finale. You just sense he's getting close. 
you just feel. And we know the knack that this guy has for just stepping up and scoring big goals and big moments. You know, the tying goal in game five against Columbus in the opening round last year, the overtime goal against the Islanders to send them to the Stanley Cup final. He just seems to have that knack. And as frustrated as I, I can sense that he is from not producing offensively, you just get the sense when it goes in for him, it's going to just kind of lighten the load off of his shoulders and kind of loosen up his game a little bit because he's an important player. And if he's feeling good, that's good for Tampa Bay. Yep. I think we're both in alignment there and be interested to see the reaction from the Panthers in game two. And um, if there are any suspensions from game one, I think that'll be interesting too. Yep. All right. As we said, game two is on Tuesday at 8 p.m. You can find that game on Valley Sports Sun. Once again, of course, listen to Greg on the pregame and postgame uh, intermission as well. Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito have that call on 970 WFLA as well as on the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Lightning Power Play. Greg, we'll, uh, we'll get together again at some point after game two to recap okay. that and look ahead to game three as the series will shift back to Amelie Arena for games three and four on Thursday and Saturday. All right, for Greg Lanelli, this is Eric Erlinson. You have been listening to the lightninginsider.com podcast. Make sure you rate, subscribe, share, let your friends know what's out there. We'll be here throughout the postseason. Make sure you listen to Greg weekdays, Monday through Friday on Lightning Power Play for Power Lunch. My work you can find at lightninginsider.com. Sign up for a yearly subscription or a monthly subscription. As always, thanks, everybody. We'll catch you on the flip side. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.